Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The Mountains We Climb. This is a series where we dive into people's journeys of overcoming challenges and adversity in their lives so we can understand what is really possible and what it really takes. I'm your host, Jordan Kilpatrick-Smith, and in this week's episode, we'll be joined by Angela Brown and explore her journey through a lifetime of chronic illness. Angela is an author and certified life coach who helps women with chronic illness to change their lives. Angela, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So where does your story start, Angela? Well, my story starts actually with the day I was born. Um, I was born with a syndrome called Keppelfeld syndrome, which causes a lot of um, uh, congenital abnormalities. I had congenital abnormalities off my spine. Um, I had three holes in my heart. I had um, like a, a lot of other things. And also um, that syndrome causes other later on in life to have other, it's for you to have other illnesses, but um, you can't really prepare for them. It, it's not curable. It's just when, when, the, when the illness happens, you just go with it and, and try to fix it. Like for instance, I have a kidney disease, um, which is part of the syndrome. So that we just have to, have to take care of it as it, as it comes. And later on, I developed, um, uh, found out I had a lung disease. So you have to um, deal with that. So it's, it's, a, it's a very rare syndrome, but it, um, it causes a lot of other challenges. And what's it called again? Keppel, Keppelfeld syndrome. Okay. KFS is the short form. Okay. Um, I'm going to put a, a link to that in the, the description for everyone listening. So in case you want to check out more about that, that'll be in there. Okay. Okay. So day you're born, that's a mm -hmm. <laughs> right, right from the get go. You got three holes in yeah. the heart. You got spinal deformities. Where does, where does your story go from there? How does that, um, yeah. From there. Um, so I came to Canada at age eight. Um, and, uh, immediately I went to the hospital for sick children. Um, had a lot of, um, tests run and things like that. And they told my mom that I needed surgery like as soon as possible. Um, they said if I come to Canada six months later, I would I would I wouldn't make it. I wouldn't made it within right. six months later. Um, I was eight years old. I weighed thirty eight pounds, um, and I was like three feet tall because having a heart heart condition from birth it stunts your does help the stunt your growth as well as the Kepler syndrome causes you to have like a short neck or a uh, low airline. So that's a, um, a total of what that happened. So I had open heart surgery at age eight, and then I had another open heart surgery at age nine. From there, um, I, you know, I went through life. I had some other, other congenital problems that I needed to have a um, surgery for, which I did. Can you um, tell me about those? Oh, sure. So I had like a, a, a groin hernia. Um, so I had to have surgery for that. Um, and later in life, I started having um, very bad pains in my neck. Um, I couldn't move my neck. Um, and um, I was having, I had a lot of back pains and things like that. So I went and saw a, a neurologist who did you know, a lot of tests and he said, oh, that I needed a surgery in my neck because I had like a missing vertebrae. Um, and so he took bone from my hip 
and put it to put in my neck. Um, and then he said I'd also need back surgery, but obviously they couldn't do the both of them at the same time. So, um, so, <clears throat> so I had I had neck surgery. Um, I had to, I had a, a neck cat a neck brace for eight weeks, um, and then according to the doctor that my everything would be fine, but it wasn't fine because I still had a lot of pain, um, and I had a lot of other syndromes that developed that I didn't have before. After so the surgery. surgery. Yeah, I say the surgery was like a 50-50 um, percent, right? Because some syndrome, something that I didn't have, I started experiencing as things that I had, like I was feeling electric, electricity going through my body. Um, every time I turned my neck, that was gone. So, and that was like one good thing because who wants to feel that all the time, right? So you spent your entire life I just having like jolts of electricity every time you moved your neck? It, it's, no, it didn't start at, in, at first. It started like in my, my teen, 20s. Dang. Yeah, so I started having, started slow, like you just feel this shot, but you know, I didn't um, take notice of it. It was like maybe, 10 years later that it really got really bad. And and I told my, the doctor, you know, and he said, uh, he, there was actually a name for it. I don't remember what it's called right now. Um, so, and, and I couldn't write. Like I, I, I would try to write and it would be just like scribbles. Um, and I couldn't hold the pen properly to write anyways. And yeah, it was just, a, and all the problems that I was having, they kept telling me, it's from your neck. It's from your neck. So that's why I had to have the neck surgery. And so for this surgery, they took like a, just a chunk out of your hip and were like, this is now a new vertebra. And they like separated your spine and just slapped it in there. Like, how how do you even do that? <laughs> I, that's, that's a very good question. Um, I had, the, I had the, actually had the, uh, I had the option of using my own bone, half bone, or artificial bone. The problem with, with the calf bone and the artificial bone is like you can have rejection, right? So you, so you always always have that chance of rejecting. Um, and there's rejection medication that you have to take for that as well. So I thought it would be it was safer to just use my own bone, especially since the doctor told me that my hip would be, would be healed within eight weeks, which didn't happen. Later on, when I was continuing to have, I started having hip pain, um, and my hip would swell up sometimes when I walked. Um, and I went to the um, pain management clinic at Sunnybrook, and he did a whole bunch of tests again. And he told me, um, you know, the, the bone doesn't heal that fast. And this was like maybe three, four years older, a year later. And I was, well, what do you mean? Doctor said it would be healed in eight weeks. He said, no, it takes up to 10 years for the bone to heal. That's a very different timeline. Oh, yeah, so, definitely. So what was, what was that like for you to hear that? Yeah, I felt like I'd been misled. Definitely, right? Um, maybe I would have made a, a different choice if I'd been told I was going to take 10 years to make a deal. Mm -hmm. But... Um, the doctor said, 
I would probably have been better to go to have gone with uh, Kathleen. Um, he said it was low risk of redemption, anyways, and but yeah, it, because having your um, your own bone can cause a lot of other problems too. So now I have um, I have bursitis in my hip, um, and my hip swells up. Like when I when I walk, if I walk too long, my head swells up and also a lot of pain. Um, so yeah, that's another that's another thing I have to deal with, <clears throat> along with everything else. So the the short shorter neck, missing a vertebra, holes in your heart, surgery at eight nine years old, open heart surgery to to have that repaired. Um, we got lung disease, kidney disease. Now the neck surgery to fix, fix the, the neck, which then led to bursitis in the hip and a very long recovery for the bone in the hip. Yeah. Um, anything else? Um, it's already quite a, quite a lot. Well, later in life I did um, develop, um, but that was another story. So what happened was in December of 2012, I had a car accident. Right. Someone T-bones my car, and I, I, I had, I broke my neck. But in the beginning, when I first went to the hospital after the search, after the accident, because the, um, the uh, police told my daughter that the witnesses said basically, car hit me, my I, my car spun around two times, and then it landed in the traffic post. Now all I remember is being the, hit, the sound of the hit, and then waking up with the car in the traffic post. Right. I was kind of like out of it. And um, I had a, I had a, sorry, I had a passenger and she was complaining that she was having neck, um, sorry, chest, pain in her chest. And I thought that she might be having a heart attack. So I reached for my phone and I called 911. Um, and then they said that someone had already called 911. Then I tried to open the door of the car, but it wouldn't open. And trying to turn off the car, the car wouldn't turn off. So we were basically stuck in there until the paramedics came. When, it, in the meantime, during that time, I, I realized that I can't turn my neck at all. Uh, the pain was excruciating. And I said, okay, I'm just going to sit here until somebody comes. Hopefully the car doesn't blow off or anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was my thought <laughs> in my head. So the paramedics came, they took me out, they put me on the put so, a brace on. Sorry, Angela, when you were, can I ask you a question here? Sure. When you were in the car there, mm -hmm. and you've just been T-boned, you can't turn your neck, um, you're in ex excruciating pain, the passenger next to you is saying that her chest is hurting, you're worried, okay, maybe she's having a heart attack. Mm -hmm. What was that moment like for you? scary very scary i don't think i've ever been that scared regarding everything else that had happened to me i was yeah. literally so scared and i and i was more scared for my passenger than i was myself because if she's having a heart attack you know god forbid i don't want her to die and i just kept saying okay calm down calm down calm down um i tried to help her but i couldn't move because right. uh, my, my neck was hurting so there was nothing i could do to help Paramedics didn't take very long to come, th come though, because they said they received several calls. Right. Um, so 
And uh, one thing I never really thought, spoke about was the process, the uh, person that hit me got out of her car and started yelling at me, telling me that I hit her. Meanwhile, other people, past um, witnesses were trying to help me get out of the car, like trying their best to open the door, trying to smash the glass or something, trying to do whatever they could to get me out. And I think finally somebody told her, you know what? You sit to be quiet right now because the good thing is that everybody's alive. So why don't you just be quiet, let the cops deal with it when they get there. Um, so when I got to the hospital, um, the doctor um, did, ordered an x-ray. And he looked at the x-ray and he said, oh, you're fine. Um, took off the neck brace, threw it in the garbage and told me I could go home. By that time, my daughter had arrived and she thought, no, how could she go home? She's, she can't even move and she's in pain. He didn't even give me pain medication, nothing. So my daughter picked up the mask, the uh, uh, brace from the cash, trash can. And she's like, mom, you know what? I think she should keep this on. So I thought, yeah, that's fine. I'll keep it on. Next day I went to my, my um, family doctor and he gave me pain medication mm. and told me to continue wearing the brace for, for, for a couple of weeks. Um, and then I, I started physiotherapy and massage therapy. And in that moment where you're at, you're at the hospital, you've just had this traumatic experience, the doctor does an x-ray and it sounds like he wasn't super listening to you about what was actually going on, right? Yeah. yeah. What, what's that like to, to be, you know, trying to be heard like, hey, you know, I've got this going on and, and <laughs> the person who's supposed to be there to help you is not actually listening to you? I, I was frustrated. I was I was frustrated. I just wanted anything I could do to, you know, ease the pain or, or get rid of the pain. Um, and he just seemed like he just wanted to get us out of the get us get us out as fast as possible. So the next fish. I mean, yeah, the hospital was a busy night, but still, you have to pay pay attention to the patient and what they're telling you. Mm -hmm. And so the report was that I had whiplash, right? And for several weeks doctors kept telling me it was with flash and the pain would go away oh massage therapy will help you um physiotherapy will help you so fast forward six months i'm still i'm still having pain i'm still like when i move my neck i'm still having excruciating pain so my family doctor said okay i'm gonna i'm gonna um send you to see a, a neurologist and lucky for me, she had um, had a cancellation that I was able to get in within a couple of days. Otherwise, it would have been a, a few weeks. Mm -hmm. And uh, she called me three days after I had the MRI. And she told me to go check myself in the hospital, that my neck was not stable. Didn't even know what that meant. Tried to ask her what that meant. She just, she was trying, I don't know if she was trying to be evasive, but I know she was trying not to tell me what the real Thing was just she just wanted to get me to the hospital and how did that like what was that like for you I, from your perspective i was scared because i um said okay I, I gotta get to the hospital as fast as i can um and i was just like what is what's going on because all she would tell me was your neck's not stable and i didn't know what that meant 
at all. <laughs> like your neck's not stable. What does that mean? Yeah. So, <clears throat> so at the hospital, the uh, neurosurgeon told me that my neck was broken and that I would need surgery. So you just went <laughs> six six months, right? Yeah. Six months through pain, basically constantly. If anyone's ever had a neck injury, I think they can relate in some right. capacity to this, right? A little mm-hmm. neck injury sucks. A broken neck, I imagine, is is not pleasant at all. Right, exactly, yeah. And then you were told, you know what, you're fine. It's just some whiplash. Um, so you get to the hospital, you have a broken neck. In yeah. that In that moment, did you like, did you know, or did you think that you had a broken neck throughout this? Or? No, no, okay. that, that was not a thought to me. I, I you know, I, I don't even know what I thought. I just thought there was something wrong. Yeah. And I'm just trying to get people, the doctors to listen to me. Yeah. Like, um, you know, I kept, I Googled whiplash, symptoms of whiplash. How long is it supposed to take? Um, things like that. Um, what kind of exercises can you do to to relieve the pain and you know I tried everything ice heat anything that uh, uh sorry acupuncture that wasn't it wasn't getting any better yeah um, and, and sorry go ahead so when when she said when he said sorry your neck is broken I guess it kind of made sense that why I was having so much pain yeah and then I just wanted to then and he was like oh you're gonna have surgery tomorrow morning and my mouth just dropped. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. crazy. Totally crazy. Where was the break? Um, at the base of the skull. Um, and basically he said like this was the skull and the bones attached and the bone was like that. So it was off the skull. Okay. So for the people who are listening to the audio, we've got, instead of it being like flush against it and being flat like one end of it is kind of crooked off off of it yeah and so we're looking at your c1 vertebra is that right c1 and c2 okay so for uh just to explain a little bit of anatomy for people your skull rests on the top vertebra your c1 Mm -hmm. and your brain stem <laughs> comes right right through that and so to mm-hmm. have those two um vertebra broken not only puts you at incredible risk for quadriplegia it also means that you can't really move your head at all like so right. i imagine yes motion was incredibly not happening <laughs> yeah <laughs> and side to side was not happening like a no yeah right okay yeah. Yeah. So, because, like you said, with the anatomy, right? That the C1 and C2 um, is where it allows your neck to, to turn, like you said. Yeah. So, if those are broken, like, or injured, turning is next to impossible, but also very painful when you, when you do try to move it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you kind of just get told you're having surgery tomorrow morning, stay here yeah. for the night? I was told to stay here. I had like the neck brace on. I wasn't allowed to get out of bed. I wasn't allowed to, to move pretty much do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they didn't want that. I guess they didn't want any accidents, obviously. But it was just like one nurse said to me, like, I don't understand. You've been you've been going through this for six months, so I'm sure you can get up and go to the bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's easy. Just go to the bathroom because other nurses were like, no, you can't go to the bathroom. You're not allowed to go to the bathroom. You're not allowed to get out of bed. You're not allowed to do anything. Uh, one doctor told me that um, if anything, a small movement of my neck could have caused, like what you said, a quadriplegic or I would be dead. Mm-hmm. Those are like the two, the two things that could happen at any time, he said, without even just knowing it. Yeah, it would literally just be a, like a, a snap thing. Yeah. And they said they didn't, they hadn't seen anybody go through, um, have that kind of injury for six months, mm-hmm. for even three days, let alone six months. They just thought it was like next to impossible. Mm-hmm. But it happened. I became very famous at the hospital because nurses, right. nurses and doctors came in to see me just to, like, not my doctor, not my nurse to say, so are you the one with the broken neck? For six months, I'm like, yep, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. So, okay, so you have this this surgery. And they repaired it? Yeah, they repaired it. Lots of bolts and screws and stuff. Right. And so, does the top of your spine now have, like, plates and, and screws to keep everything aligned mm-hmm. or how does that work yeah yeah it does um and i had to wear the body brace um for six months and what is the so body brace sorry the brace came from under my chin right here yeah. down to my belly button wow and it was like so the like your whole upper body was in a brace um they couldn't allow any any kind of movement at all so you this was it. And I wore that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. What was that like? Um, uncomfortable. It was itchy. Um, it was hot because we're in the middle of summer. I had surgery June 13th hmm. of 2012, 2013. Um, so, so it was hot. And I, thank goodness I had an AC in my house because I don't know how I would have survived it but but my biggest problem was well there was pain obviously but is that the brace was very itchy and you can't scratch it right (laughs) so so you know what it's like to have an itch and you can't scratch it it's like torture yeah yeah six months of that uh, yeah I I started no I, I complained to my doctor I'm like I can't deal with this like this thing is so itchy and I can't take it off and I can't scratch the edge and I think like I just I'm gonna go out of my mind and he gave me medication that will help to um not stop the itching but at least make it a lot lot less annoying right so and how did you shower and like cook and, and and do like daily living with this big brace on I didn't I had um I had another one that that I take, took that this one that um, I wear all the time was made from foam. Okay. Um, so then there was another one that's made 
from sturdier material, like, you know, the ones you see them see in the movies. Right. So that one I, I, I put on when I was going to have a shower. So, it would, and actually I didn't do it. I had a CPSW that did it, or my daughter helped me put that, that brace on when I took the one off first and put that one on yeah. and then have a shower. And then immediately after I have a shower, it's like, put the other one back on. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Um, what was, how did that affect your mental health throughout those six months? I was lonely, sad, depressed, um, feeling stuck. Like my daughter lives with me when she went to school. She went to work. Um, but uh, of course, everybody else is going about their own lives. Um, you know, school, work, brunch, dinner, parties, everything. And I was just stuck at home. Mm-hmm. It was very lonely. Um, the only person I, like I saw had a PSW that came in every day for three hours. So to answer your question about cooking, um, she, they cooked. Um, they, they came in and they would say, what do you want for breakfast? They make my breakfast, what do you want for lunch? Make my lunch. And then my daughter would come and she would make dinner. Mm-hmm. And occasionally people would bring food. Because at first when you have it, when you have when you have your accident, lots of people come, lots of people bring food, bring this, that. Eventually it all starts to taper off, right? Because people have to go about their lives. Then when I had the accident, I'm sorry, when I had the surgery, people started coming again, getting some help. My daughter got some help. But eventually, like I said, they taper off and they go about going their own way. So um, for me, it's like I had watched a lot of soap operas, watched a lot of Dr. Phil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was just like, this is not what I want for my, for my life, right? And I literally, every time I went to the doctor, every four, six weeks, I had to follow up to the doctor. And every six weeks, I'd go and ask him the same question. So when does the brace come off? And when can I go back to work? Those are my two questions. And then he would say, you have to keep the brace on longer and you can't go back to work. Like he literally told me, basically, I should consider myself retired. So. And how did... How did you manage finances throughout this? Um, I was getting money from the um, insurance company. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so it's not you. You weren't just left on the sidelines. No, no, no. They covered. I think it was seventy percent of your salary. Okay. So you have to make do a little, a little less, but still, was better than getting nothing at all. For sure. Right. And actually, eventually, I did see a psychologist um, because you know they were worried that I was depressed and things like that, which I was. So I saw a psychologist just to talk about how I was feeling and da da da. So those were that was my 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 weekly outing was mm-hmm. one day a week I went to see the psychologist. Um, the other rest of the week I was at home. Um, PSWs were help. They took me for a walk um, because I realized I needed to get out of the house. Mm-hmm. But the, but the thing was so hot, and I had to put I. I had to put my clothes on first and put it on top of my clothes. 
Right. And then I had a walker because I couldn't walk on my own. The, the first day I got, no, sorry, not the first day. When they told me I could go home, I was so excited. I'd been in, lying, on, lying in the bed for like over three weeks, almost a month. And I was so happy I got off, got off the bed, thought I'm going to walk and boom, landed on the floor. Ooh. The legs were just not stable and not cooperating. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like I forgot how to walk. And um, they, they had um, like an exercise gym there. Um, not, not, not a workout or anything, but for rehabilitation purposes. Um, they took me there and helped me to walk up and down the stairs because at home I had stairs and they wanted to make sure that I was going to be able to, to navigate the stairs mm-hmm. when I got home. Otherwise, they were going to send me to a re- rehabilitation center. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go home. So like, yeah. about a month later, I went home. And where has that experience left you? Um, you know what? I've learned a lot from that experience. I learned that I was more resilient, resilient than I thought. Right. Um, I learned that like, so I was stronger than I, than I thought I was too. Um, you know, I knew that I could handle um, adversities because I've been doing it, especially with my health, my whole life. But this just taught me that I can, I can with God, because I had to have big faith rely on God, know that I could get through, I could get through it. And I knew that I wasn't going to retire. I was going to show the doctor that, yeah, maybe I can't go back to the, what I was doing before because I was in ECE, worked in a daycare with kids, right. worked in the school board with kids. And so that was not possible anymore. But I had to find a new a new career, mm-hmm. um, and I did. And what is this new career? This is so, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. So over the thirty years, I had experience working with insurance companies. That was pretty much my goal. I worked in the office, um, administrating, you know, in every almost every department of an insurance company. So it so happened that I met somebody who was from a, an ins- a major insurance company um, and she proposed to me that I could um, do like join the company and be a financial advisor. So that's what I did. So in 2016, I joined the company and as a financial advisor um, and today, up to today, I still have my license as a financial advisor even though I don't really practice it much anymore. Right. Um, because I, I found a new vision. Can you tell me about that? Sure. So throughout my, um, like getting get all the adversities and things I've gone through, um, um, I, I needed support and I got a lot of support, um, but I realized that there's other people out there who probably have chronic illnesses and don't have a lot of support, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, you know, they're feeling lonely. The things I told you that I felt, you know, lonely, stuck, despair, unfulfilled, you know, things like that. And some of them might even have a family, a husband, 
a child and you and expect it to take care of them, but they can't even take care of themselves. So how can they take care of their, their family? Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to help women like those, like those, to help them to overcome the challenges and the obstacles that they're facing um, with their illness. Nice. So that's one of my one of the things I wanted to do. I also was offered um, someone um, offered me to write a book. Um, she was doing a book project with twelve um, book project with other women, and she wanted me to write one chapter in the book. So each woman wrote one chapter, and um, that book was called "The Courage to Change," and it was released in September of twenty nineteen. And then from there, I decided I wanted to write my own book, like a book. So I wrote um, a book called The, Cur- the, um, the Miracle of God, How 30 Seconds Changed My Life Forever. Um, I can show you the cover. Mm-hmm. So, so this is the book. And this will be linked in the description as well for everybody. Okay. Can you tell, can you tell me a little bit about the book? Um, so basically, the book start, um, starts with my birth, I told you, yeah. and um, the challenges that I had, um, and my journey with chronic illnesses from then until now. And basically, I have a comment. Um, there's a, a focus on the car accident, because the car accident was the 30 seconds that, that changed my life forever. Yeah. Right? Um, so that was a big part of the book and um, I really enjoyed writing it. Um, and I remember things that I had forgotten that happened um, in my life and it helped me to uh, get, resolve a lot of issues that I had to, um, you know, growing up, I think we all have some sort of issues that we just, you know, we, we haven't gotten over, but we just put it in the back of our mind. Yeah. Um, and then so it went now it brought it out to the surface. And I was able to get rid of it and move on. That's amazing. So you've gone through this lifetime of pain and struggle and suffering from all of these chronic illnesses that you really Mm -hmm. didn't have any control over to now turning this into something where you can help other people. Exactly. What would you say like the biggest lesson that you've learned from all of your experiences through this has been, um, yeah, like, was there anything that really stood out to you as, as something that, that you learned that, that really helped you? Mm-hmm. I learned that, um, that I'm strong, that I'm resilient. And the biggest thing I learned was that I'm not my diagnosis. Mm. I'm not my illness. And that's what I try to, um, my message is that you, to anyone who's listening who has chronic illness, that you're not your illness, that you're not your diagnosis. Like, I mean, somebody, they say, hi, my name is Julia, I have fibromyalgia. It's just like, so good. It's like fibromyalgia is not, it's not, it's, it's not, it's a part of you, but it doesn't define you. Yeah. Right? And you can have, you can have an illness that's incurable, right? But you can also have a, 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 a fulfilled life with it. I mean, trust me, I'm not saying it's easy because it's not, but I've been through it and I want, I know that others can do it too. That's fantastic. 
I think that's such an important message, Angela, that you are not your diagnosis. There is more to you than just this, right? Exactly. What do you find the biggest shift for yourself and for the, the women that you help is when you get kind of over that mental hurdle, when you get over the, the thought that you are your illness, like what, what really begins to change at that point? Um, I would say relief. And it gives you like a new, a new lease on life. That hey, I can do something. Yeah. You know, I can um, fulfill my goals that I've abandoned. You might have to shift your goals a, a bit, but um, you can achieve your goals. You can take care of your family. You know, I was just um, so all my my health challenges. Um, I was married, then I was divorced, and then I was a single mom. But I was a single mom and I still had all these challenges that I had to go through. That I had to and take care of my daughter. And a lot of people thought that I couldn't do it, but I proved them wrong that, that you can do it. So how did you keep pushing forward throughout all of this? Because it sounds like every time, you know, you kind of got your feet under you, life came in and said, nope. Yes. How do you, you like how do you how do you exactly. move forward? I thought about what I had to lose and what I had to gain. Um, I knew when I was a single mom, I knew that I had to take care of my daughter. That was my biggest um, thing that no matter what, I had to take care of her, make sure that she you know, had all the necessities of life and a happy life as well. And, um, and she's been my motivation throughout everything I've gone through, even now. Even when I was an adult and I had that, and she was already an adult, my motivation was still her because I wanted to show her that she can get to any challenge. Uh, she puts her mind to it, and as an and now even that's still my my goal too, is um for my daughter to see that you can overcome. My my nephew my nephew asks me, he goes, "How do you do it?" He said to me one day, and I go, "How do I do what?" And he goes survive all these near-death experience and still, you know, still moving, still thriving. Yeah. That's what you asked me. I'm like, well, I just, I just got to go, keep going, getting through the challenge, just got to keep going. You have to have a reason. What's your why? And for me, my why was my daughter. So everybody has to have a why. Why do you want to get better? Why do you want to be able to move, move and, you know, do other things? My daughter had always wanted me to write a book and I, and I did it. I ended up with two books. So, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. I think what an important message that is because we can often get hung up by really like being real here, inconsequential things can often mm -hmm. get in totally derail people. Mm -hmm. uh, myself included. I'm not uh, free of that. But it's really inspiring to, to look at the, the real challenges in life that, that could be and, and to see people like yourself that just say, nope, we're, we're moving through this. Failure is just not an option. Not an option, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, fantastic. So is there... Any other advice that you would give to someone who's 
maybe right now they're struggling with something that's going on in their life and, and they can't seem to, to get the ball rolling? <laughs> I would say ask for help. Um, I know for myself as a with chronic illness, sometimes you don't want to ask for help because you feel like you don't want to be a burden to others. Mm-hmm. And that was a big thing for me too. I didn't want to be a burden. And at times when I did need help, I didn't ask for help. So I'm just encouraging to ask for help. Um, because you know what? People do want to help you. Sometimes they just, their hands are tied. They just don't feel like they know what to do to help you because they try to help you and then it backfires or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're just like, okay, what do we do? What, how do I help you? You know, I can't help you. I don't know what to do. So I, that was the biggest thing I would say, ask for help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I think that that, again, is a very important message. We can often be so afraid to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we, when, when we step back and think about it, basically everyone enjoys helping. And each person that's listening to this, I would encourage you to think how it feels for you to help someone else mm-hmm. and understand that that's basically a universal feeling. Right. Often exactly. people just don't know how to, to do that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a gift to give to other people is to allow them mm-hmm. to help you. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's not easy. I, I'm very bad at asking for help because I just don't want to be a burden. But you know what? When I try to do something by myself and like, let's say I want to reach something really high in the top of the cupboard, right? Now, like you, you can look up and reach up and get what you want. I can't do that. So I need to ask someone to help me. But I choose to do it myself, so I struggle to do it. And I fall, or something falls on top of my head. Then, okay, then you're like, oh, you're so embarrassed. Okay, whatever. Like, you could also get hurt. So mm-hmm. what was the lesson in that? Ask somebody for help. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Um, so my next question is not for you, Angela, but for our listeners. And it's, what are you going to do now? What would change in your life? What would become possible if you applied these lessons to your life? Yeah, what would happen? I think often we're we're very afraid to make change, but there's a lot of lessons to be learned from, from people like yourself, Angela, who have gone through and, and continue to go through and stay strong throughout it. Right. We can all learn from it. Exactly. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Um, I just want to say, um, if you're having challenges and struggles and you don't, um, you don't have anybody in your life that can help you, or um, you can always reach out to me because I'm always ready to help anyone who's in need. Awesome. And Angela, your website, um, your socials will be in the description of this podcast. So anyone who wants to reach out to Angela, please check the description and all the the means to do so will be in there. There will be, and then your books are also on your website, you said, right? Okay. Yes, correct. 
So if you found this podcast beneficial, please consider subscribing and sharing this episode with just one person that you know so that they can benefit from it too. This podcast is brought to you by Sword Academy, where you can make the best you possible. You can find out more at swordacademy.ca. And we will see you back here with another episode next time.